Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. It is still the Sabbath. The Sabbath is uh, winding down, and we just appreciate what the Sabbath means, that you are our maker. Uh, we're here in this world that we have life, and breath, and all things. And as the sun is uh, slowly going down, we pray that, that you will give us a big blessing. The power of the Spirit will come up, will rise within us, within our hearts, coming from you. Lord, please speak to us. Help me as I go through these final, this final message. Use this recording to speak to a lot of people. Help me in all that I do and open our hearts. In Jesus' name. Okay, uh, when it comes to the topic of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these Godhead issues that are going on within the church, uh, obviously there's, there's a lot to this. And so we're, I can only cover so much in a few presentations. Uh, so I'm doing my best to hit some of the highlights. And to me, Matthew 28, verse 19, is really one of the highlights as far as Bible verses dealing with this subject. Actually, we can start with verse 18. Matthew 28, 18. The Bible says, Jesus came and spoke to them. This was his disciples after his resurrection. And he said to them, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. That's a lot of power. All power. And then verse 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Go, therefore, and teach how many nations? Teach all nations, right? And baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is a very, uh, it's a rather simple verse. It's a powerful verse. And Jesus is talking to his disciples back then, and he's talking to us. And he's telling us to go. So in other words, we're not just here as Christians to just sit around and do nothing, uh, the Lord wants to give us a mission. We need to go, whether it's our own families or the people that you're uh, involved with uh, at school, studying, your friends, people that you get acquainted with. We work our way out and we continue to go farther and farther and farther as the Lord leads us. And he's telling us here to go to all the nations. In other words, the commission is big. It's all around the world. And people have to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, in many ways, I have a rather simple mind. And when I look at this passage, it just impresses me that there is a Father, the Father. You see that? There is the Father and there is the Son. Do we see that? And there is the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and as I look at this verse, it's telling me that as we go out to all the nations, it seems pretty obvious that Jesus wants people all around the world to be taught and baptized and taught about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus wants the whole world to know these things. He wants everybody to know that there is a Father he wants everyone to know there is a son. He wants everyone to know that there is a Holy Spirit. And it's interesting also that 
Jesus says, he doesn't say baptize in the names, plural, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He just uses one name, the name. So we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we have one name. And I'm going to show in a little bit that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not the same being, but they are united in one. And that's a, that's a very important Bible truth. Now, the next verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It's amazing how many times the New Testament refers to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you would also think that if Jesus wants us to go out to the whole world and teach these things to everybody on the planet, you would also, um, it would make sense that the devil would try to stop this. Satan doesn't want us going out and teaching people about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he would love to have us get so involved in having debates about this topic that we never go anywhere. He's very subtle. He's very uh, tricky. Now, when you look at this, uh, this is the last verse of 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, so there's Jesus, the Son, and the love of God, there's the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So here's another one of these verses that describe all three. You see that? We have Jesus, we have the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit. Now, another verse is 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. This is a very interesting passage. And sometimes I refer to this verse as the verse that isn't there. So I'd like you to turn to the verse that in many of your Bibles isn't there. And I'll explain that in a minute. 1 John 5, 7. I'm reading my Bible is, I think I mentioned this before. Um, I will read different translations. I really like this Bible a lot. This Bible is a King James Easy Reader Bible. So it's a King James Bible, and yet it's, uh, it's a little updated so that it doesn't use some of the old archaic words that, that we are not so familiar with. So I really like this Bible. And in verse 7, it says, For there are how many? There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, who is who? The word is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And let me ask you, how many of you have this whole verse as I just read it in your Bibles? Let me see your hands. Okay, For, uh, and how many of you is most of this verse not there? Let me see some other hands. Okay, one, two, three. Uh, I guess most of you are reading the King James Bible, the New King James Bible, because the, in other translations, and there are many other translations, uh, the verse is not quite there. Grant, would you be willing to just kind of um, be bold and tell, tell me what your, you have the NIV, right? Yeah, and how does, how does uh, verse 7 read in the New International Version? And that's it. That's it. There are three that testify, period. Uh, and if you have a different translation, you'll probably see at least other translations beside the King James or the New King James 
you'll see it's pretty similar that in most Bibles today, uh, this verse is largely left out. The part about the Father and the Word and the Holy Spirit isn't there. Uh, I have a chapter in my book, Satan's War Against the Godhead. The whole there's one whole chapter that discusses this issue of this verse. Uh, there are many scholars and theologians that have concluded that the bulk of 1 John 5-7 really was never really in the Bible in the first place. That it came in uh, in the 1500s during the time of Erasmus, who was part of the Protestant Reformation, who was doing a, a, creating a Greek translation from which English translations came from and other translations. And so people have concluded that there really is no evidence that 1 John 5, 7, the full verse, uh, really has been in the Bible throughout history. It was added because of Erasmus. And supposedly the reason why he added it was because he was under pressure from the Pope to put that in there. Uh, and personally, I don't buy that theory. Uh, I've heard that theory a number of times. I've seen it in the literature. But the reality is that if you go back far beyond the time of the Reformation to the time of the, of the Waldenses historically, uh, guess what? 1 John 5-7 was in the ancient Waldensian Bibles. And it was in their confessions. And there's a whole long list of credible evidence that 1 John 5-7 really should be in the Bible. It really is inspired. It really is from God. And personally, uh, I don't think that we should be picking and choosing what verses we like and which ones we don't, which ones we should leave in and which ones we should take out. Uh, that's a rather dangerous endeavor. And the Bible concludes with, uh, in Revelation chapter 22, it says, don't add and don't take away from the words, especially of the book of Revelation, that God has inspired. And so as I look at this verse, I believe it's an inspired verse, and the scripture agrees with the other verses that we've read in Matthew 28, 19, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that there really are three up there in heaven. There is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit. And my conviction is that uh, the devil would like to confuse us about that issue. And it's unfortunate that in many places, many circles, many websites, many videos, that if you believe in three, they automatically uh, accuse you or interpret that you are now an apostate. You don't believe in the one God. Now you believe in three. And I believe there is one God. The Bible says that. And I also believe there are three in heaven. The Bible says that. And if there's something on the one side and something on the other side that sometimes are difficult to completely put together, my conviction is that the safest thing to do is to believe them both. Even if we don't fully understand how they both go together, we need to believe them both. It's a little bit like uh, a coin. If you were to reach in your pocket and find a coin, whether it's a, a dime or a penny or a nickel or a quarter, 
How many sides does that coin have? It has two sides, right? There's a head side and a tail side. Now, if I were to ask you which side of the coin is true, how would you answer that? Is the head side true or the tail side true? And I heard a voice over here said, both sides are true, right? Both sides. If, you're, if you are rowing in a rowboat on a, on a little lake, uh, how, many rows do, how many oars do you need to go straight? You need two. Now, if you only use one oar, not the other oar, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go around and around and around. You're not going to get anywhere. Uh, to me, it's, it's interesting, as I've thought about this whole topic, that how many eyes did God put in our head? He gave us two eyes. And, you know, you, some people lose uh, one eye and they can't see out of an eye. But if you, if, you, if you only have one eye, you can't see as well. Isn't that right? When you have two eyes, that's where you get clear vision. Two eyes. And God is a big God. And there are parts of him and parts of truth that have more than one side, such as justice and mercy grace, and works. Is God a just God? Yes, he is. But is he also a merciful God? Yes, he is. So we need to believe both, right? Now, some people focus on his justice, and they minimize his mercy. Other people focus on God's mercy, and they minimize his justice. And the reality is that God's character is a blend of mercy and justice. God is so just that he won't overlook sin but he's so merciful that he sent his son into the world to pay the price for our sins so that we could be legitimately and legally forgiven. He upholds his law, and yet he paid the price for our sins of breaking the law. And that's the, uh, the, 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 the what's the word? The magnificence of God, part of the magnificence of God. He's just and he's merciful. We are saved by faith. But we also work as Jesus changes our lives. And there's this blending. And uh, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that some people take one part of truth and they use it to fight against another part of truth. And that's, that's a danger. We don't want to do that. We want to be balanced. Jesus said, these things you should have done, but don't leave the others undone. So the blending of justice and mercy and the blending of the fact that their Bible does say there is one God. The Bible says that. But the Bible also says there is a Father, there is a Son, there is a Holy Spirit, and these three are one. This is biblical truth. Now, even if we don't completely understand everything, we need to be content with that and say, Lord, I don't get everything, and I'm good with that. We need to learn how to live even if we don't understand everything, but we still trust Jesus in the midst, and we hope that someday, by and by, things that are not as clear to us as we would like uh, will become clear. Does that make sense? So let's believe the whole Bible, not just part of the Bible. And according to this verse, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, 
and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. That's what scripture says. Now back to Adventist history. As I mentioned uh, in part two, and this is just a quick review, uh, our movement began as a church in the 1830s and 40s with the preaching of William Miller, a Baptist farmer, based on Bible prophecy that Jesus was coming in 1844. His preaching resulted in a whole movement of people. There were somewhere between 50 to 75,000 people in America, in actually more on the, on the East Coast, that believed in what was called the Advent, the great Advent movement, that Jesus was coming and he was coming soon. And the early Adventists learned the first angel's message. They learned the second angel's message as light continued to grow in their hearts as they studied the Bible. And then they learned about the sanctuary in heaven, that it was up there, not down here on earth. They learned about the, the law of God that was in the ark up there. We looked at that verse earlier today from uh, Revelation 11:19, that the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark was seen. And inside the ark is the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments is the fourth commandment about the seventh-day Sabbath. Seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. And so this whole group of Adventists became Seventh-day Adventists. And that's how it happened. That's how we became Seventh-day Adventists as a, as a movement. Uh, they also then learned the third angel's message uh, after 1844. That continued to grow in their understanding. Uh, in the early 1860s, they learned about the importance of organization, that this group that had been through 1844 learned the first angel, the second angel, the third angel, and now they had a message, a movement, uh, to give the message all around the world, which is what the three angels' messages say. Uh, then they, they learned from the Bible the importance of being organized. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, that God is not a God of confusion, God is a God of order, and let everything be done decently and in order. God wants order just like the body is organized. Imagine how you would function if your brain uh, went in one direction and your heart and your lungs and your liver and your different parts of the body, you know, didn't all work together. It wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to function. You know, if your brain says, I want to stand up, but your feet don't want to do that, your legs don't want to do that, you're not going to be able to, to do very well in life, right? Your body has to be organized. And it's the same way with the body of Christ. Jesus wants his church to be organized. And so in the 1860s, 61, 62, 63, the Seventh-day Adventist church was, was organized. Uh, in the early 1860s, God taught us the importance of health, the health message that James White talked about rational methods of healing disease. He talked about the importance of knowing uh, cause and effect and how to treat disease uh, through simple treatment. And there's a whole lot behind that. But this was part of our health message that we learned in the history of our, of our movement. We also learned in the 1880s, 1888, 1889, 1890, we learned about the importance of righteousness by faith through the preaching of uh, Jones and Wagner and others that we are not saved by the law. We're not saved by our works. The law shows us our sins 
and points us to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can save us by his grace. We still believe that? Yes. I mean, that would, if, we, if we didn't understand that God loves us and saves us by grace, where would we be? And yet we also learned that grace doesn't do away with the law. That Paul said, uh, do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. We establish the law. So the law shows us our sins, shows us our need of a savior. Jesus is the only one that can save us by his grace. And when he does that and gives us the Holy Spirit, then he enables us to become commandment keepers. That's called righteousness by faith. And it's uh, beautifully expressed in the little book, Steps to Christ. So we go down through 1840s, 60s, 80s, and then we get to the early 1900s, which is where I left off in the last meeting. In the early 1900s, John Harvey Kellogg, the medical director of the Battle Creek Sanitarium, a brilliant uh, physician that God used in many, many ways, he got off track. And he wrote a book called The Living Temple. And The Living Temple was about the living temple of the body, but he mingled with his teaching in his book certain pantheistic ideas that were very dangerous. And uh, through Ellen White, who received a gift, the gift of prophecy, the New Testament gift of prophecy from the Holy Spirit, she was very concerned about this book and its influence in the church. And Kellogg was extremely uh, respected. So, you know, if you, have a, if you have a leader that gets off track and that leader writes a book and that book is circulating among members, uh, that can be very dangerous, don't you think? Lucifer in heaven was a leader. He was the head of the heavenly host under Jesus. And he got off track. And uh, because of his influence that was so powerful among the angels in heaven, a third of the holy angels decided to follow him. And eventually, all the angels had to make a decision. Are we going to go with, with God? Or are we going to go with the shiny angel, Lucifer, that we've always respected and had a lot of confidence in? They had to make a choice, one by one. Whose side were they on? Unfortunately, a third of the holy angels went in the wrong direction. I've often thought about that. I've thought, you know, those angels were smarter than me. Uh, Lucifer's much smarter than me, smarter than you. And our safety in this ongoing battle that we're in is our willingness to humbly receive the word of God. That's really what the heavenly angels had to do too. And the good angels decided we're going to stick with, with God. We're going to stick with what he says other than what Lucifer says. So they all made choices. So in the, in the early 1900s, down the stream of time, uh, the devil worked through John Harvey Kellogg writing this book, The Living Temple, and the spirit of, spirit of prophecy, which I shared the quote with you uh, in the last meeting, referred to Kellogg's book as the alpha of deadly heresies. 
And then she said that the omega would follow in a little while. And then as you read other statements, uh, she's telling us that if the alpha of Kellogg's pantheistic ideas would have taken a full hold in the church, then the whole structure of what makes us Seventh-day Adventists would have basically been thrown out the window. Now, uh, that's pretty much where I left last time for part two. Now, part three, uh, I want to show you another statement. And this is in the book Series B, which is a little book that uh, Ellen White wrote with testimonies to the church during the Kellogg crisis, warning physicians and ministers and church members not to follow the teachings of Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. Now, I'm going to, so this is Series B, Volume 7, page 62. And it's kind of a lengthy reading, but it, it really puts the pieces together in what I'm trying to communicate uh, this, this weekend. And, and as I read this, I want you to notice something very important, that Kellogg's theories had to do with deceptions concerning the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I want you to notice what the problem was and then what the Spirit of Prophecy identifies as the solution to the problem. Okay? So follow carefully. Anybody sleep out there? You're all awake? I'm glad this meeting isn't taking place right after lunch. For some people, you know, the blood goes down to the stomach. Uh, they go to sleep on me. And I, sometimes I tell audiences, uh, I'm going to give you a fair warning. And the warning is that I have been known to use sleeping people as sermon illustrations. But it looks like everybody's awake. So listen carefully to this. Series B, Volume 7, page 62. It's quoted in my book, Satan's War Against the Godhead, which is over there, will be available after Sabbath. Uh, and this is page 71 through 73. And this is what it says. Ellen White wrote, I am instructed to say, the sentiments of those who are searching for advanced scientific ideas are not to be trusted. And she's referring to the book, The Living Temple. And, uh, and I understand this to be, she's not against science. She's against false science, which had worked its way into the book Living Temple. Such representations as the following are being made. The Father is as the light invisible. The Son is as the light embodied. The Spirit is as the light shed abroad. So these are representations that were in Kellogg's book. She goes on, the Father is being uh, explained to be like the dew, invisible vapor. The Son is like the dew gathered in beauteous form. The Spirit is like the dew fallen to the seat of life. Your heads are probably going, what? This was in, this was the teachings of John Harvey Kellogg. Here's another representation. 
the Father is like the invisible vapor, the invisible vapor. The Son is like the leaden cloud, and the Spirit is like rain fallen and working in refreshing power. So three times she describes the uh, scientific sentiments that were being in, uh, were, which were written in the book Living Temple, which were circulating among the physicians, because Kellogg was a very, he was the top physician in our church at Battle Creek Sanitarium. And the other minister, and the physicians, and also the ministers, and the church members uh, were reading Kellogg's book. And they were, you know, their minds were kind of going around and around with these ideas. Now, uh, listen to the next sentence. She says, all of these spiritualistic representations are simply nothingness. Now, bingo. Uh, she says, you know, and I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking through her, that this is just speculative philosophy that is dangerous. And she's trying to tell our members, don't have these ideas in your head. She says they are imperfect. They are untrue. They weaken and diminish the majesty which no earthly likeness can be compared to. God cannot be compared with the things his hands have made. These are mere earthly things, suffering under the curse of God because of the sins of man. The Father cannot be described by the things of the earth. Some people say, well, because the Bible says that Jesus is God's Son, therefore he had a beginning. But they're, they're interpreting the Father and the Son in the light of earthly human relationships. But if you look at earthly human relationships, any father that has a son, there's a woman involved too. And we certainly don't believe that about our Heavenly Father, right? We don't believe that. So just because the Bible uses the terms Father and Son, or describes the Father and the Son, uh, that doesn't mean that we can understand these terms completely in the light of earthly things. There's a Bible verse in the book of Psalms that says, God says, you thought that I was altogether like you, but I'm not. God is bigger than the things that he has made. The Father cannot be described by the things of earth. The Father is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he is invisible to mortal sight. So Kellogg's, so here's one of the main points I want to make. Kellogg's deceptions had to do with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We see that clearly in the statement. And as we go through, what's happening is, is the spirit of prophecy is using the word uh, Godhead three times in reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which you will see. So the Father is is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he is invisible to mortal sight. And then she says, the Son is all the fullness of the Godhead manifested. The word of God declares him to be the express image of his person. That's a quote from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's John 3.16. Here is shown the personality of the father. The father has a personality, and so does the son. It's not, uh, it's not biblical to say he's in the flowers, he's in the trees, he's in the rocks, he's in this, this pulpit, he's in that piano. That's just not biblical. God is much bigger than the things that he has, that he has made. And the same thing with the Son. The Son is all the fullness of the Godhead manifested. So we can see the fullness of God in Jesus. And then the next statement says, the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, that Christ promised to send after he ascended to heaven is the Spirit in all the fullness of the Godhead, making manifest the power of divine grace to all who receive and believe in Christ as a personal Savior. So I want you to see the flow of thought here. This is from the book, Series B. This deals with spirit of prophecy, statements and analysis of the Kellogg crisis and the pantheism crisis and the Alpha deadly heresies. And as we've already seen, uh, Kellogg's deceptions had to do with distorting the truth about the Father, distorting the truth about the Son, distorting the truth about the Holy Spirit. And then she counters those spiritualistic representations, which are simply nothingness. She counters them with the truth about the Father and about the Son and about the Holy Spirit based on Scripture. Now listen to this. This is the next sentence. She says, there are three living persons of the heavenly trio. Now, these are her words, not mine. And in the name of these three great powers, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who receive Christ by living faith, are baptized. And these powers will cooperate with the obedient subjects of heaven in their efforts to live the new life in Christ. Now, when I was doing research for, for my book, and the reason why I wrote this book is because, well, I, I guess the context was I became aware of how fierce of a controversy this topic is in many places. And where I live in North Idaho, it is fierce. And since I've been here, I've had a number of people come to me and say, you know, I have friends that are believing these very things. And so it's here too in this area. Uh, I got a, had a conversation with somebody in Ardmore, Oklahoma, that said we lost six families in our church over this. They left the church. I was, uh, in con I got in con I, I was contacted by people in Bulgaria saying, we need this book translated into Bulgarian because we're having a big problem with this issue in our, in our area. I sent uh, an email to a friend of mine at the General Conference, and he said, send me 15 books. He's in the ministerial department. He said, we need this book because these issues are growing in many circles within our church. And so, and I have a good friend of mine who... Uh, used to be a member of our church in Idaho, 
And uh, he's, he's no longer involved in leadership in the church because of these, he's wrestling over these very issues. I've watched videos of people that are in this movement, and I've talked to quite a few of them, uh, either on the phone or through Zoom. We've had conversations, we've prayed together, and it's just a real struggle for many people who are trying to figure out what's right in this issue. So as I was studying this, uh, the Lord has given me the gift of being a writer. It's one of my gifts. I'm not a, a cook, so that's not my gift. <laughs> I'm not a singer, that's not my gift. I don't know much about cars, not a mechanic. Uh, I do like to garden. That's, that is maybe one of my gifts. I don't know if that's a gift or not, uh, but I do believe God has given me the gift to, uh, to teach, to communicate, and to write. And so I felt impressed to study this topic out because it's an issue in my area involving people that I know. And so as I was writing this book, there was all kinds of struggles that were going on inside my heart as I uh, read this and studied this. And when I picked up series B, dealing with specifically the Kellogg crisis, and I read these paragraphs, I was just deeply impressed that Kellogg's deceptions had to do with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I was deeply impressed that uh, Ellen White countered those deceptions with clarifications about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and about the Godhead. And at the end of that whole section, she then said, there are three living persons in the heavenly trio. And in the name of these three great powers, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who receive Christ by living faith are baptized. Now, I don't know if that impresses you, but it impresses me that the part of the Kellogg issue concerned the Godhead, and God chose to respond to that crisis by giving Seventh-day Adventists more light, just like he gave them light in the 1830s and 40s. He gave them light on the sanctuary, on the law, on the Sabbath, on the third angel, on organization, on the health message, on righteousness by faith. He's been leading his people on step by step. And in the 1900s, he chose to take that crisis as an opportunity to clarify even more and to give us light that many of the early Adventist pioneers were not clear about. And some people say, we just need to go back to the pioneers. Stick with the pioneers and don't, don't listen to what's being taught today. And my conviction is uh, there, were, there was a lot of truth in the pioneers. But the pioneers are not God. The pioneers are not the Bible. And the pioneers often changed their views as they learned more about the different teachings of the Bible through the Holy Spirit. They learned more and they, you know, we don't believe in evolution, but you could say that the pioneers evolved. You want to use that word in that way. You get my point? They grew, they learned new things. And when the Kellogg crisis hit, 
and they read the statements in series B that there are three living persons of the heavenly trio, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I tell you, uh, many of our pioneers were enlightened. They learned new things. They learned, they, they became uh, clearer in their understanding of the Godhead than they had been in the past. Now, let me get to the uh, the immediate part of this three-part series. Alpha, Omega, and what's the last part? Meet it. That's right, meet it. Okay, here we go. Uh, on page 79 of my book, we have a description which is found in Series B, Volume 2, pages 55 and 56. Now listen to this very carefully. Mrs. White wrote, One night, a scene was clearly presented before me. Now, we don't know whether this was a vision. Was this a dream? Uh, we don't exactly know. All she says is it was at night, and she says there was a scene that was presented before me. I saw this. What did she see? She said, I saw a vessel, which is a ship, upon the waters in heavy fog. Suddenly, the lookout cried, Iceberg just ahead. There, towering high above the ship, was a gigantic iceberg. What does that remind you of? Titanic, that's right. There was a, a giant iceberg. Gigantic. And then an authoritative voice cried out, and the voice, did the voice say, go around it? No. Did the voice say, just stop? And let it be. No. The voice of the commander, the commanding voice, cried out, meet it. And so then it says there was not a moment's hesitation. It was time for instant action. The engineer put on full steam, and the man at the wheel steered the ship straight into the iceberg. With a crash, she struck the ice. There was a fearful shock and the iceberg broke into many pieces. Notice these details. And the iceberg fell with a noise like thunder upon the deck of the ship. The passengers were violently shaken by the force of the collision, but no lives were lost. The vessel or the ship was injured, but not beyond repair. She rebounded, the ship rebounded from the contact, trembling from stem to stern like a living creature. And then she moved forward on her way. I see that is very significant. Well, and then she says, well, I knew the meaning of this representation. I had my orders. I had heard the words like the living voice from our captain saying, meet it. I knew that I knew what my duty was and that there was not a moment to lose. The time for decided action had come. You know, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for this and a time for that, right? Time to be silent and there's a time to speak. And now it was time to speak. I must without delay obey the command and I must meet it. That night I was up at, I was up at one o'clock. 
writing as fast as my hand could pass over the paper. For the next few days, I worked early and late, preparing for our people, who were Seventh-day Adventists in the early 1900s, the instruction given to me regarding the errors that were coming in among us. So through pantheism and Kellogg and the Living Temple, there were errors that were coming into the church. Think that's the only time errors have come into the church? No. In fact, all throughout the history of Christianity, there have been errors that have come into the church. That's why Jude wrote, uh, I want you to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints because certain men have crept in unnoticed and they're bringing in their false theories. We read that in the book of Jude. We read that in 1 Timothy. We read that in uh, 2 Peter. We read that, that in the book of Revelation chapter 2. So it's not new that errors creep into the church. And there comes a time when those errors need to be met. And that's what happened here. Now, let me, uh, so I'm done with the reading of the quote. Now, here are uh, seven facts that I see from this description of the ship hitting the ice. Fact number one, in the early 1900s, a terrible crisis came to the Seventh-day Adventist church. You see that? Is that clear? That a crisis hit. Uh, fact number two, God's church was compared to, an I to a ship sailing into a giant, a gigantic iceberg. Point number three, fact number three, meet it was the Lord's firm command to his people. Fact number four, the church, God's church did meet it when his ship hit the ice. Fact number five, the iceberg, which applied to the alpha of deadly heresies, Kellogg's teachings, the iceberg broke into many pieces. Point number six, the ship, God's church, was injured, but not beyond repair. Fact number seven, after the crash, the ship moved forward on her way. In other words, the Kellogg crisis, the alpha of apostasy, was met head-on by God's church, and it crumbled. And from what I understand, as I read uh, these statements, the alpha went down, and therefore the fullness of the omega, which would follow the alpha, if the alpha was received, that also did not happen in the history of our church back then. That's what I see. And we also know that the alpha had to do with deceptions about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And those deceptions were hit head-on through the spirit of prophecy, and the ship moved on her way. And my conviction is, based on my reading of all this history, that God's ship is still sailing today. In spite of its problems, in spite of the fact that there uh, are weeds among the wheat, in spite of the fact that there are, there are the wise and there are the foolish, Jesus talked about that in his parable, in spite of the fact that, as I can best understand this, uh, it doesn't mean that there are no new alphas and no new omegas. 
I think there's probably a lot of little alphas and a lot of little omegas going on. But as far as our denomination goes, as far as the, the whole movement that has been raised up by God, that has been led by the heavenly trio, by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this ship is going through. And God wants us not to abandon it even though it has problems. You know, if you're in a marriage and your marriage isn't a perfect marriage and your marriage uh, has some challenges and difficulties and some problems, does that mean that you abandon your marriage? Hopefully not. You know, um, you know some of you have probably heard the expression, um, I can't go to church. I'm not going to join any church because the church is full of hypocrites. Have you heard that? So I'm not going to be involved in any church. Looking for a perfect church. Churches that don't have hypocrites. Well, if that person who said that happened to find a church uh, that was a perfect church, and if they joined that church, then guess what? That church would no longer be perfect because that person is now in that church. And I think you get the point. You know, there's nothing, just like uh, we read, there, the, the Father cannot be ex de defined by the things of earth, and there is no church in this world that is the perfect church. The church militant is not the church triumphant. We are in the midst of a battle. We're in the midst of a war. Yes, errors do creep in, and there are times when those errors need to be met. We don't want to go the way of Kellogg. We don't want to go the way of uh, the Battle Creek Sanitarium. We don't want to go the way of the Review and Herald at the time that was printing, uh, wanted to print Kellogg's book. You know, there are things that do need to be addressed. But nevertheless, in the midst of all of this, I am really clear on the message that God's ship hit the ice, went on, and when people say that the church completely you know, got off track because the Alpha and the Omega have come into Adventism and the church today is no longer God's remnant church of Bible prophecy, I don't buy that for a minute. I don't believe it. But at the same time, you know, we need to have our eyes opened and we need to realize that just like in the time of Kellogg, you know, deceptions can come into the church, and we need to meet those deceptions. We need to stand up for what's right. We need to contend for the faith that was once and for all given to the saints. We need to hold on. Jesus said, hold fast until I come. Hold on to what you have in the Bible. Don't abandon ship. Hold on to this book. Hold on to the Bible truth of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Concerning the Holy Spirit, there is a statement in the book Desire of Ages, page 671, that says that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And he comes to us in the fullness of divine power. And I believe that. I'm dealing with all these issues. I believe there are three persons up there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
They're also called the heavenly trio, and they are united. And even if I don't understand all the details, I'm good with that. And I'm going to stay in the, in the church, no matter what happens. Even if there are you know, certain leaders and certain movements and certain things that happen that are obviously going in the wrong direction, I believe we need to be barricaded. We need to be solid in the message. And the reality is that God has raised up this church, this mighty Advent movement. And uh, what did Ellen White say? She said, the truth will triumph, and we aim to triumph with it. And my conviction is to stay in the ship, not to abandon ship, hold on. And to, I, I like to say it this way, I, for lack of better words, you know, I don't uh, think the words conservative and liberal are always the best words, but my conviction is to hold on to a conservative theology and to have a liberal spirit. To be kind and gracious and respectful toward anybody and everybody, whatever side they're on, because Jesus loves every man, woman, and child. He loves us all. And he died on the cross for all of us. He died for, for Republicans. He died for Democrats. He died for Catholics. He died for Protestants. He died for Baptists. He died for Seventh-day Adventists. He died for those that are involved in witchcraft. He died for those that have pink or blue hair. He died for people that are in the heavy metal scene, that are into punk rock. He died for those that are in the conference, those that are in self-supporting work. He died for those who uh, chose to be vaccinated and those who chose to be unvaccinated. Jesus died for us all. And by God's grace, we need to do the best we can through the Holy Spirit to stick to the Bible to stick to Jesus, to live by the principles of the Ten Commandments, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to be found when Jesus comes among the people who are clothed with his righteousness rather than their own, and who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, and who are ready for the second coming. Does that make sense? And that's my appeal to you, to be among that group and to focus on giving the message to the world that Jesus has given us. My last verse is John chapter 12, verse 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I would also encourage you, you know, I think there's too much debating about the Holy Spirit these days. And rather than debating about the Holy Spirit, what should we be doing? We should be praying for the Holy Spirit, right? Years ago in 1986, I went through one of many uh, terrible crises in my life, and I was right on the edge of leaving the church. I was having all kinds of struggles inside my head and my heart. And in the midst of this dark moment in my life, when I was right on the edge and I prayed, I said, God, if you don't do something and help me out in my life, I am, I'm going down. And then this little voice spoke to my conscience, this still small voice. 
And the still small voice said, pray for the spirit of truth to guide you into all truth. Quoting John 16, 13. And ever since that, uh, that day in 1986, I made a decision. I'm going to do that. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. I have been praying just about every day for more of the Holy Spirit to guide my mind into the truth. And the more I do that, the clearer things get that I need to stick to the Bible above the teachings of men. And the Lord has blessed me. He's blessed my family. He's blessed my son, my daughter, my wife, my home. Praise the Lord. I'm still married after all these years. Still holding on. White Horse Media has been blessed abundantly. God has given us influence around the world, in many different places through our YouTube channel, our teachings, our books, our seminars. And I attribute this all to the goodness and the grace of God and to the power of the Holy Spirit who has been guiding my mind and teaching me to follow the Bible and to remain centered in Jesus. And I just praise God for that. Give him the glory because I know uh, it is not in me. Like what do they say? But for the grace of God, there go I. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all, all men or all people, to myself. That's what I want to leave you with, is look to Jesus. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. Uh, you're never going to find all happiness or fulfillment without Jesus Christ. He is it. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. The Bible says we are complete in him. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's all in him. And I've concluded that the only way I'm going to be complete is in him. I need Jesus in my life. I've learned that through the hard lessons. So I encourage you, whether you're working here at Loma Linda, whether you're a student, whatever you're involved in, to pray for the Holy Spirit, surrender your life to Jesus, spend time with him every day, stick to the Bible, and let God lead you step by step and stay in the ship so you can go forward all the way and be ready for the coming of Jesus. Sound good? Okay, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you and praise you for the privilege of being here on this campus, Lord, you have worked so mightily in so many ways through the raising up of Loma Linda University. And I pray that you will continue to guide the leaders here and the people here and the students here and the staff here. Lord, please help them. We all know that uh, Satan would love to bring in deceptions, errors among us, just like he did back in the 1900s. Help us, Lord, not to submit to any error wherever it comes from. 
Help us to stay with the Bible, to stay with Jesus. Bless all the people here, those that listen to this recording. May they hear the voice of God inside their hearts. May they recommit their lives to Jesus. And may we all follow you and be ready for the return of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for all these opportunities and blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. And then, okay, before we uh, have the Q&A, few questions we're told. Yes, you have a comment? Okay, 15 minutes max, she said. All right, she's the timekeeper. Uh, let me just quickly tell you what's over on the table here. We have uh, some tracks. We have a stack of these tracks, 100 in a, in a pack. It's called Messages from Heaven. Great to give away to people. And this is the only track I know of in our entire church that goes through the full first angel, the full second angel, and the uh, full third angel. So this is available on the table from White Horse Media. Uh, we have, of course, Satan's War Against the Godhead, this book that deals with everything I've talked about today and yesterday and, and much more. Uh, it's not an expensive book, but it's just loaded. I hope that you will, if you like it, that, you're, that you will get it and you'll be blessed by it. Uh, we all know that there's a big issue going on in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas and People are, around the world are thinking, you know, this is going to spiral to the Battle of Armageddon. I've written another book called False Prophecies About Israel, Babylon, and Armageddon. This book is great to share. Uh, that book is over on the table. We have another book called The 666 Beast Identified that deals with Revelation 13 and the number of the beast, which is 666. And this book goes into all those details. We have one more. Uh, called The Bloody Woman and the Seven-Headed Beast on Revelation 17. I have uh, two little flyers here for my online courses that are over there on the table. One about sprouting with Steve. If you want to learn how to grow sprouts and microgreens in your home, uh, if you want to learn to supercharge your health with nutrition, uh, this is available for you to check out and take a look at. And then I have also my finance course called Grow Your Money with God. Uh, this is over there. It deals with stewardship, the importance of getting out of debt, the importance of being faithful in our tithes and offerings. It also deals with uh, uh, sensible investing options to help prepare for the future if time lasts long enough. And uh, should uh, Jesus tarry, we need to occupy till he comes. So there's a lot in that. So anyway, uh, those are available. And now that I've given that little spiel, oh, we also have our website, whitehorsemedia.com. Uh, we have a Thursday program, normally every Thursday, except if I'm traveling, called Thursday, uh, uh, White Horse Media Thursday Live. And you get on our list, and you can uh, join us at 4 o'clock for a Bible study and for a question and answer. Uh, people really enjoy those. We also have a Bible school, an uh, online Bible school for free, which is uh, whitehorsemediabibleschool.com. So questions. Anybody got a question? Got a few minutes for a question. We have a microphone here. Who's got the first question? If there's none, that's fine. We'll call it a... Okay, yes. Hi. Um, I was invited to a small group of um, a meeting that are being held, a meeting being held at, or was held at the Loma Linda City Hall, the Community Service Center. And uh, so I attended, and what they're teaching is that there's one God that the spirit of god is a mind is the mind of god that guides us and teaches us and the third thing is that in first john 5 that you read the bible of 
version that they were using did not mention the word three persons. Right, the that's, person. the, that's the verse that was left out. Yes. First John 5, 7. So how would you respond to their belief that spirit, when it says spirit of God, it's just the mind of God. It's not a person. Yeah. And that in John 16, where it describes the work of the Holy Spirit, they claim that that's John's style, style of writing. He uses he or him right. instead of just making mm -hmm. it clear as it. It's not doesn't use it, yeah. but he, he interprets it yeah. as personification. Yeah. That meeting that you were invited to go to is exactly the reason why I wrote my book. Because those issues are dealt with in this book, point by point. And I'm not going to give a you know, whole Bible set on every single point, but I've heard those ideas before. I'm very familiar with them. I'm familiar with the verses that they use. And it's, uh, my conviction is it's a very subtle deception that leads away from biblical truth. It's not looking at all the evidence. It's only looking at a few verses, and it's twisting other verses, and it's just wrong. And there's a time to meet those ideas, which is why I wrote this book. So if you want to talk more about it, we can go into some more details. But uh, Desire of Ages, page 671, says the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And I've got a friend right there who's been trying to help me understand the Greek, uh, and that he said, Brent... Uh, probably talk for an hour on this topic, that the Greek construction for spirit of God or spirit of Christ does not mean that the, that the spirit is Christ or the spirit is God or it's the mind of God, but it is what's called a, um, a is a genitive, have I got that right, Brent? It's a, it's a genitive Greek expression that has to do with a relationship between the spirit of God that he is God, and that he is uh, the spirit of Christ. He has his own inherent, uh, separate divinity. So they're, they're misinterpreting those verses as they do many other verses. And I'm very clear in my heart that the Holy Spirit is definitely a person because, I mean, he's brought me back inside my head to places in my past that only he knows about. He's made these things very clear to me, and I'm very aware of the fact that the, the one who is working inside my heart is a living being, a person who is an infinite mind. So I encourage you to pick up the book. It's not expensive, and hopefully it'll help. Yes, here's a question right here. You have the microphone over here? Or you, okay, well, yes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. So what is the reason why people li leave for, you know, because of this topic? Like, yeah, that's a good question. I, I believe the reason is because in the DNA of Adventism is that we are the restorers of what has been lost. That's our, that's our, that's who we are. The Sabbath has been lost, we've recovered it. Uh, the truth about death has been lost, we've recovered it. And point by point, that's who we are. And so what the appeal of this movement is that the pioneers believed certain things, or at least some of them, about the, uh, that they were against the Trinity and that we've lost what, what we originally had in the days of the pioneers. So that's the appeal, is that we need to get back to the early teachings of the pioneers. 
And, uh, and it's true that, that God did lead the pioneers, but they didn't have everything straight. That's why they made changes many times, and they learned new things. And when the Desire of Ages came out uh, in the 1890s and said that, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit was the third person of the Godhead, Adventists looked at that and said, wow, that's a new insight. And when Desire of Ages, page 530, said that in Jesus is original, unborrowed, underived life, uh, the Adventists looked at that and thought, that's a new concept for us, for many of them. And then finally, when you get into the Kellogg crisis, you have the spirit of prophecy saying, there are, there's a heavenly trio. There's three living persons. Uh, it's, 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 not, it's not accurate to say that we need to get back to what the pioneers taught in these areas and not understand that they learn new things. So I think that's the appeal, is we got to get back to them. But again, you know, they're not God. And the pioneers told us, uh, don't take our word for it, go to the Bible. And they were pioneers, which means they forged ahead and learned new things. Okay, yes. I've heard people pray to the Holy Spirit, so I'm wondering what you think about that. If you say, yeah. dear Holy Spirit, person. Right, like, yeah. Do I, I don't see that in my Bible. I see us that we, sh I see Jesus saying, uh, he said, uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I, I see Jesus telling us to pray for the Holy Spirit. I don't see him saying that we should be praying to the Holy Spirit. I just don't see that in Scripture. Okay, another question. Uh, yes, over here somewhere. So, yes. Just before the previous question, I heard the term mentioned Trinity. Yes. But I haven't heard it throughout the uh, throughout this Sabbath yes, series. Good. Yes. And good. what would you what would you say to those who might call Seventh Day Adventists anti-Trinitarian? Yes, good, good question, great question. Uh, the, the, the pioneers were, at least many of the pioneers, were anti-Trinitarian, but not all of them. William Miller was a, a Baptist, and he was a Trinitarian. But Joshua Himes, who worked with him and helped get him speaking appointments, he came from the, a group called the Christian Connection, and he did not believe in the Trinity. And yet Miller and Himes worked together. Uh, it's true that the Catholic Church has an aberrant view of the Trinity, uh, J.N. Haskell, and I've got the quote somewhere in my, in my, on my computer, I think it was in 1908, he was one of our pioneers. He said, the doctrine of the Trinity is true if it is rightly understood. Uh, so there's a Catholic version of the Trinity which we do not believe and the pioneers were opposed to. But as we will go along in history, uh, the Adventists learn that there is a correct view of the Trinity. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three separate individuals who are united in one. Personally, I don't, I don't use the word a lot, simply because the Bible uh, uses the word Godhead and the Spirit of Prophecy uses the word Godhead rather than the word Trinity. It's kind of like, you know, it's a volatile word these days. So, uh, like Haskell said, the Trinity is true if we understand it correctly. The, the, the simple meaning of the word is tri-unity. And I have no problem with that, tri-unity. But the fact that it has so much Catholic baggage, I would prefer uh, not to use it, if people do use it, in the strict sense of 
It's meaning tri-unity. I'm fine with that, but I choose the word Godhead. I think that's a, you know, a word that the spirit of prophecy clearly uses, and so that's my preference. So it's kind of a, you know, it depends on where you land on that topic. Some people think that just because we use the word Trinity, we're automatically compromising with Rome. They say anytime you see the word Trinity, you, they think Rome. Uh, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's the way Adventists use the word Trinity. So good question. Glad you brought that up. Another question. Yes. Just a comment, actually. I've read your, uh, your interview on Fulcrum 7, which I really appreciated. Uh, Thank you. Some of us may not know here, but Daniel Mesa, who's one of the leading proponents of One True God or the OTG movement around yes. the world, yep. unfortunately, he was our neighbor up in Forest Falls, both myself and Dick Schaefer. He lived right across, and we had a lot of time to talk. He was not into it at that time. He was just kind of an itinerant person that would preach at different uh, churches around here with Daniel and the book of Revelation. He had a good understanding of it. And I uh, kept in contact with him after he left here in 2014. He went to Secrets Unsealed with Steve, uh, up there with Stephen Bohr, Pastor Bohr, and somehow got mixed up into this. And when someone asks, you know, what is, uh, why do they separate? They feel that we should all separate. I've kept in contact from him from time to time that um, it is a point of salvation yeah. not to believe that the Holy Spirit is a separate entity that it is blasphemy to believe that yeah. and that's how far he's gone yeah and that we are believing the catholic teaching that's right and, and, yeah, and that's why so. i wrote my book and right. i i know daniel as well he used to do some limited contract work for whitehorse media before he got into this i have other friends that i know that have gotten into this i think they're sincere they you know satan is a master of educating the conscience in scriptures that are being uh distorted or at least not looking at the full picture of the weight of evidence. And that's why this is such a fierce conflict. And it's very unfortunate. And the, and the One True God movement has, many of them have come to the conclusion that we're a new organization. That we, uh, we were infected by the Alpha, now the Omega is here, the church is in an apostate condition, and we need to leave the organized work of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is exactly what my book is about. And the weight of evidence is just not there. The weight of evidence from the Kellogg crisis, the ship hitting the iceberg and going on its way is just not what they're, what they're saying. And how can we finish God's work as a movement if we're all scattered and disjointed? No, it's just, uh, it's separating from the body because the body you know, isn't perfect and they're interpreting certain things in a certain way. So it's very unfortunate and... Uh, we need to pray for these people because, you know, a lot of them are good people. They're just, I believe, sincerely wrong. Yes, another question. Yes, sir. Or, yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, I totally agree with what you were saying about the Trinity and the triunity, which I've heard the word triune God, which I think is another way it can be said. Um, people who don't completely understand what the Catholic view is is simply that, you know, they believe in three phases of God in one being, as I understand it. Yes, they do. And uh, as I was working at a school one day as a substitute, there were some, a couple of kids, seniors actually, talking about this very issue and uh, in a public school. And the one boy was saying how he was so frustrated and felt so confused 
because he was forced to go to his Catholic church, which he said he didn't believe in going because he said, how can Jesus be pay, praying to himself? In other words, he was bringing up this issue, sort of. Um, but that's a comment. My other thing I wanted to say was, I have a concern, maybe I'm wrong, but if people are saying there is no Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is not, in my view, maybe able to really truly draw them. Is that like a, a, the, the, a sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I've heard Just that. A question. Yeah, I've heard that too. And, um, you know, I don't want to make a definitive statement about somebody. Jesus said, don't judge. Paul said, uh, judge nothing until, you, until the time wait till the Lord comes, but it's very possible that many people who are denying the existence of the Holy Spirit without knowing it are going in that direction. God doesn't give up on people easily. His Holy Spirit still works. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. So even if a person has a wrong view of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's still not striving with them. But uh, personally, uh, I don't want to think that the Holy Spirit is not a person now, I've concluded that's not for me. So I do think it is a dangerous teaching. Okay, two more questions. Two more questions, yes. But, but a comment. Um, the, I have come across uh, this moment many years. I've been dealing with this many years, and actually I started when I was 16 years with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I contacted one of their top leaders, and uh, I had the first... Yeah, uh, um, uh, interaction with them about the Trinity, actually. And that was my first beginning, and I saw that he could not answer. And uh, there was a booklet called, um, what is it used to call now? They don't publish that anymore. Um, the, should we believe in, in the Trinity? So in that booklet, I was attending one of their meetings um, called this Watchtower Study, like equivalent to our Sabbath school. And uh, the study, the main topic was about the Trinity, uh, the deity of Christ, uh, mainly emphasized on. So um, they said there is no word from Genesis to Revelation that Jesus is called Almighty. And that, uh, even <laughs> during that time, I have been studying from not Adventist, but I was an Adventist, uh, studying from different sources, books. I used to be a book. Well, I used to read a lot of books, especially on the line of theology. And, uh, and I challenged that person during the con con uh, convention that if I show you that Jesus Christ is called Almighty God in the New Testament and the Old Testament, would you believe it? He never answered the question because he knew that <laughs> it is impossible to answer that question. So uh, he avoided the question. I was so young. He said, you sit down. You know, you need to talk to elders. But I said, no, I, have an I need an answer. So finally, uh, he said, okay, go ahead and uh, show me. <laughs> then I said, I'm going to show you right now. Turn your Bible. They don't be believe the other Bibles. They believe only the New, new World Translation. Uh, so right. I said, I'm reading from your Bible, and I showed it. Uh, John, uh, Revelation chapter 1-8 says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, Almighty. And then he said, oh, that's Father. I said, hold on. Verse, read down two that's verses right. down, 17 and 18. That's right. uh, he said, I became dead, but live forevermore. And then I said, go to Old Testament and read Genesis chapter 1, verse 17. And Jesus, uh, he, uh, the, God comes and speaks to the, Abraham said, uh, you, um, I am the God Almighty. And he heard the voice and he talked to him. 
Yeah, and brother, we, we need to we need to wrap this up. I'm going to uh, yeah, cut it off. <laughs> and so that he just says, uh, and so that Jesus, no one has seen the Father in the uh, in the Old Testament. So who was that? That was Jesus Christ. So uh, that is the same argument that is uh, had been coming here. So I, I wanted two texts. Uh, actually, I want to make it very short. Two Bible texts to remember from this text. Remember uh, John chapter eight verse twenty four. So very clearly says, if we do not believe Jesus Christ, I am. I am mean. Ellen White very clearly states, and the Bible itself, he's the eternal presence. Right. And the I am That's is another substitute for the Je Jehovah. And then the other text is, please remember, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 12, 12, 31 to 30, 34. If you deny the Holy Spirit, every sinner will be forgiven for uh, um, denying Jesus Christ, but not That's the one against the person, personhood of the Holy Spirit. So those two texts will f f finish their whole establishment of the anti-Gentarian. Thank you. One more question. We're at the last one. Okay, we have one in the back. Yes. Uh, I just had a question because I had a very good friend that um, he he basically he started studying into this and he went he was started on you know the Holy Spirit and then he started questioning the divinity of Christ and so it was just kind of like this transition. Right. And it was almost to a point where it's like you'd show Bible verses and you'd show different things and it was yeah. like, oh, that's Froome or this is, that's right. you know, different things like that. Do you see people coming back from this? Because a lot of people I see, they go, but I don't see them coming back. Um, do you see them coming I'm back? I'm sure there, there have been some, okay. but it's hard. Once you get into air deeply, uh, it's hard to get out. We're dealing with a subtle devil and we need to be humble and studying our Bible and praying for the Holy Spirit every day. I, sometimes I call myself a Seventh-day Adventist Thomas Christian. And I'm just saying that because Thomas said to Jesus after the resurrection, after he touched him, he said, my Lord and my God. Sometimes they ask people, was Thomas right? Believe Jesus is your Lord and your God. They might have a hard time answering that, but that's who he is to me, and that's who he was to Thomas, and that's who he wants to be to you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.